Don't think I can pick that up very high. It'll fall apart. <laughs> Morning. Happy Mother's Day. Did you hear us praising him in voice? And that last, the last time we sang that chorus, How Great Is Our God, singing a cappella, and when we were quiet, our voices echoed. How great is our God. Thank you, Lord. Yeah, we can just go back, ask our worship team to come up here again, and we can sing that song a few more times. I don't need to be here. How great is our God? So many things. Sitting here this morning, listening to to Joe, uh, sharing what our search committee has been through, and that's our search committee, this La Habra campus search committee, with our input, Joe thanking them, us thanking them. By the way, Joe, thank you. You're part of that too, big part, among other things, many. Thank you, Joe. This is a wonderful church family. And then we stand together and praise the Lord together are we perfect? No. We have family squabbles? Yes. What families don't? But it is sure a joy to be part of this church family. Thank you. And happy Mother's Day. Thank you, moms, for your love. There's nothing like the love of a mother. Nothing can replace that. As we prepare to look to His Word this morning and worship Him in His Word, let us ask Him for His blessing. Heavenly Father, as we open your word today, as we continue our focus on you through your words, Lord, we ask that you would sharpen our minds and ears to hear your truth, that you would open our hearts to hear your truth and be molded by you and your love for us and who you are. And we thank you for who you are even though we cannot comprehend how great is our God. And we thank you for it. Amen. I want to start by asking you for your help this morning. I need your help, you know. As we get older, have you noticed you can tell the age of people who are up here on the platform, on the stage, by how quickly they come up and down these steps? You know, and what a joy it is for our worship team. To, we, have, we have youth in our worship team, and you don't even notice it because they're leading us in worship just like adults. Thank you. That's great to include everyone like that. But as we get older, we're much more deliberate going up. These are steep and narrow. And with the wrong glasses or whatever glasses, it's harder to see. But the young ones just go up and down, don't even think about it. There was a time I didn't think about stuff like that. We tend to forget things as we get older. And things that are just natural and that's just the way they are, we think, well, which way were they? I don't remember. So I need to ask you. You're crossing the street. 
You look both ways, you look every way, right? But what's the last direction you look just before you step into the street? Which way do you look? Down? <laughs> I think I heard another answer over here. Left. You look left. That's just, you're used to that, right? You're going to go off onto the street, you're going to step off the curb, you look to the left because that's where the cars are coming from, right? Yeah. But did you know it doesn't work in London? <laughs> yeah, it doesn't work that way in London. Lenny and I visited our, our older son, Rob. Many of you know Rob. Uh, and his family, they're in London for a year. And we went over there a month or so ago. They drive on the wrong side of the street. <laughs> and it really, it makes a difference. It was difficult. We were there for eight days, and we walked almost every place. We took a little bus occasionally and, and drove the tube, of course, but at the end of where you get on the tube, then you're walking. And we walked several miles every day. You have to look to the right first. And that is not easy. Not only that, but instead of watching for somebody making a left turn when you begin to cross the street, left turn, you've got to watch for people making right turns from the other side. That is, it is weird. It just didn't seem right. Obviously, it's not wrong, but it sure felt wrong. We didn't get used to it. I had to discipline myself to look right. Sometimes I forgot. It was not, not a good thing. Some things in life just seem right. We're accustomed to them. This is the answer. It's just the way it is kind of thing. Like, if you see Santa Claus, you expect it's going to be close to Christmas, or at least close to Thanksgiving anymore, right? <laughs> Chocolate Easter bunnies, it's Easter, right? Fireworks, it's the 4th of July, or somewhere around there. In our neighborhood, it's most of the year. <laughs> I don't know why that is, but they go off all the time. But sometimes those things that just feel right, you know, sometimes they're not right at all. Or sometimes they're only partly right. Okay? We're going to look this morning, if you open your Bibles to Luke chapter 20, We'll actually begin in verse 39, a little bit of an overlap from last week just to pick us up. But we're going to listen to Christ, Jesus Christ himself, challenge one of those normal kind of answers. This is just the way it is kind of answers. And then we'll listen in as he points out a couple of different ways we or people can respond or do respond to his truth. Now there's a, a simple outline in your bulletins this morning for today's message to help you see where we are. We're going to spend most of our time, almost the entire time, in the first section. But there's a lot of uh, scripture references in there. I included that so, cause, because for a lot of this, I just want you to sit back and relax and listen. But if a particular verse or passage gets your attention, you might just put a check there and look, up it, look it up later. We won't have time to look them all up. So I included them in the, in the message notes. Last week, we want to see where, as we open to Luke, we want to see where we are, what's going on, this, this sort of thing. We want to pick that up. But it's kind of fun this time. We actually have been in working through Luke in sequence the last few Sundays. We haven't bounced around for a little bit, so that's kind of nice. Okay, But we, where we, when we join this morning in Luke... We're joining Christ in the temple. Jesus is in the temple in Jerusalem. And this is the last week before the cross. 
He entered Jerusalem on a Sunday. We know it as Palm Sunday. He cast out the sellers in the, in the temple on, uh, on Monday. He said, my house is a house of prayer. You've made it a den of robbers. And he turns tables over and such. On Tuesday, he's been challenged by leaders, Sadducees and Pharisees and scribes and priests, and they've tried to trap him with questions about giving to Caesar, with questions about the resurrection. They don't believe it, or at least Sadducees didn't. But they've not been able to trick him. They've, they've been stumped. They're confounded by his brilliant answers. And here in Luke 20, verses 39 and 40, this is where we left last week, Then some of the scribes answered after Christ finished his last answer. Some of the scribes answered, Teacher, you have spoken well, for they no longer dared to ask him any questions. We can't ask him anything because he always has a better answer than our question. So they're afraid to answer more. And that's where we left last week. We pick it up now in verse 41 of chapter 20. They have no more questions for him. They're afraid to ask, so he's going to ask them a question. He said to them, How can they say the Christ is David's son? For David himself says in the book of Psalms, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. David thus calls him Lord, so how is he his son? What kind of silly question is that? Everybody knows the Christ is the son of David. You know, to the Jews of Christ's day, it's like, which way do you look before you step into the street? Well, for our day, that question, they didn't have cars. But it's that kind of thing. If you're a Jew, you're waiting for the Messiah, waiting for the Christ, he's the son of David. He's the son of David. He's going to be a great warrior. He's going to lead them to victory, to freedom from all their enemies. And all of that is great, right? And it's right. They're right about that. But only partly right. They're they're thinking too small. They're expecting too little. And I'm quite sure if I had been raised in Jerusalem in those days, I would have been thinking the same thing. You look left before you stop off the curb, step off the curb. Okay. Who is the Messiah? Who is the Christ? He's the son of David. That's just how it is. Let me just read a few verses in our Bibles that affirm their answer, their response to that. The very first verse of the New Testament, the first book, the first verse, Matthew 1, verse 1, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David. That's who he is. In later in Matthew chapter 9, Jesus going from one place to another and two blind men followed him. And they're crying out loud. They're saying, have mercy on us, son of David. When he entered Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, Matthew 21, 9, crowds that went before him, crowds that were after him, he was surrounded by people and they're shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. He is the son of David. That's who he is. In the Gospel of Mark, Bartimaeus is a blind beggar sitting by the roadside. He he knows Jesus of Nazareth is walking by and he begins to cry out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. I counted 14 times in the New Testament that the Messiah, the Christ, is referred to as the son of David. That's who he is. 
Now Christ, when he asks this question, he's not denying the truth that he is a descendant of David, the son of David. He's not denying that. But it's a good question. How is it then that David calls him Lord? He's quoting from Psalm 110, the first verse of Psalm 110 is right here. The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. This is a psalm of David himself. David wrote the psalm. And in this psalm, he paints a picture of the Messiah as king. My glasses aren't working. <laughs> and I forgot. He, okay. As king, as priest, as a victorious warrior, and as Lord. That's who he is. And that's how he pictures him in this psalm. But he opens the psalm, the Lord said to my Lord. God said to my Lord, says David. And Christ isn't trying to trick anybody here the way they've been trying to trick or trap him. He's simply asking them, think about what you already know about the Messiah, the Christ. Who is he really? If he's just a descendant of David, why would David call me Lord? There's more to it. This is a good challenge for the religious leaders. It's a good challenge for us. As we read this verse, as we read this passage, we should stop and think, oh, who do I really trust him to be? How great is my Lord? And while Jesus is asking this specific question, how is he his son, or who really is this Christ, I believe he implies a second question with it. I believe he implies, and what should we do with him? What should we do about it? Let's consider the first question, who is this son of David? We've already, that's why I say er, a moment ago, we sang the answer. How great is our God, didn't we? But I'd like you to just, if you will, if you can, just sit back and listen to a few verses, a few verses that describe who he is. They're there. The references are in, the, in your message notes. If you see one you want to follow up on, just put a check by it. But just relax and listen and try to picture your Savior. Okay. This is not new to most of us. Okay, Maybe none of us it's new for. But let's just enjoy who he is. We find in the book of Acts, for David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand. We find that a lot. God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus who you crucified. In Hebrews, we find he's greater than the angels. Hebrews 1.13, to which of his angels has he ever said, sit at my right hand, and I will make your enemies a footstool for your feet? Hmm. We find he reigns. We sang about that this morning. He reigns at the right hand of God as a leader, as a prince, depending on the translations you read in the verse. 
in Acts 5.31, God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior or prince and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. In the book of Romans, we find he intercedes for us. He reconciles. He settles the issues for us with our God. Romans 8.34, Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Present tense. He is interceding for us. He sanctifies us. This is how great is our God. He sanctifies us. He frees us from sin. Hebrews 10.10 We have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Regrettably, you and I, we still sin. We're sanctified, but we still sin. But that sin has already been paid for. We don't lose our sanctification. He's eternal. Hebrews 13.8 Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, forever. He's eternal. Who is this son of David? He's the Christ. He's the son of God. He's God. He's man. He's one of us. But he's so much more. He's beyond what we can even begin to comprehend. I mean, how do we grasp who he is, how great he is? It's even beyond our ability to, to understand how much he loves us let alone understand how great he is. And I, I apologize to you this morning. I've been working on this for a little while. And I know what I wanted to do with this this morning. But I can't. I can't do it. I don't know that anybody can. I know some could do it better than I can. But how do we paint a picture of how great and how awesome and how loving, how powerful, how mighty our God is? How do we do that? Turn with me to the Gospel of John. Hold your place. We'll be back to Luke. But turn with me to the Gospel of John, chapter 12. We'll be in 12, verse 20. Page 899, if you borrowed one of our Bibles. I'm going to try my other glasses, see if I can see a little better with that. We're just at the wrong distance for these eyes. Um, John 3.16. Many, many of us know that verse. If you don't, it's okay. I'm going to read it. There was a time I didn't know it for sure. John 3.16. For God so loved the world, he gave his only Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. You know, some of us hear that so much. We know it so well. We don't even hear it. John 3.16, oh yeah. We don't even hear it. He loved us so much. He loved the world so much. He gave us his only son. Let's consider the love of God the love of Christ for us. Look at John 12, verse 20 and 21. 
Now, among the, uh, we're here, we're, st- we're in the temple in Jerusalem again, the same week as we are in Luke, okay? Now, among those who went up to worship at the feast were some Greeks. In verse 21, so these Greeks, these ca- they came to Philip, who was in Bethesda, from Bethesda in Galilee, and asked him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. If we were to read more of the verses there after that, we'd see, okay, so Philip heard the question or the request, and he goes and tells Andrew about it. Andrew and Philip together, they go and tell Jesus, Jesus, there are some Greeks here who want to see you. Listen to his answer. Remember now, before we read this, Christ's ministry, he's near the end of his ministry. He's going to go to the cross in a few days. His ministry has been to the Jews. Oh, occasionally a Samaritan here or there, one or two Gentiles on occasion when they come up to him. But his ministry has been to the Jews, and now these Greeks come to him just before the cross and say, we want to see Jesus. Listen to his answer. Verse 23. And I turned one too many pages in my Bible. Sorry about that. My pages. I just got this Bible. And my pages are sticking together. And they're going to stick together. I'll get there in a minute. I'll get there in a minute. Let me read a quote from Dr. Torrey. Remember Torrey? I don't know if you... You'd have to be pretty old to actually remember him. He died almost 100 years ago. But this passage in Luke 12, uh, John 12, we just read, about the Greeks wanting to see Jesus, Tori says this about it. He says, in the heart cry, in the heart cry of these Greeks, we wish to see Jesus. Our Lord recognized the yearning of the universal heart for a satisfying Savior. Did you recognize that in those verses? In the heart cry of these Greeks, we wish to see Jesus. Our Lord recognized the yearning of the universal heart for a satisfying Savior. I didn't see that. Is it real? Is he right? You know, before I trusted Christ, I was 36 when I came to know the Lord. And I knew something was missing in my life. I had a good job, a good family, everything was fine. But something was missing. I had no clue. I certainly didn't expect it to be Christianity or any kind of a religion thing. I was looking for a better job, a a promotion. I was working toward a master's degree. Never did get that. Um, But I had a good job and everything's working. Okay, These Greeks, they want to see Jesus. They're from the greatest country in the world at that time. They had their philosophers. They had their sages. They were the greatest in the world. They had Socrates and Aristotle and Plato. What more do they need? They didn't have a savior. They didn't have a Savior. Listen to Christ's response now that I finally got my page turned. Verse 23 of John 12. Remember, Andrew and Philip come to him and say, these Greeks want to see you. And Jesus said, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. What? What does that have to do with the Greeks wanting to see him? Yeah, It just doesn't seem to make a lot of sense. However, if we read down to the end of his responses, way down to verse 32, listen to verse 32. Okay. 
And when I, this is Christ speaking, and when I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw people to myself. What's he saying to Philip and Andrew, to the Greeks? Say, the Greeks don't need to see me now. Just wait a couple days. I'll draw them to myself. Wait till I'm lifted up on the cross and I will draw them to me. Right now, no. They don't need to see me now. This is why he came. The son of David, Jesus Christ, the son of God, he came to die to pay the price for our sins. He came to die to be our savior for the Jews, for the Greeks, for the Gentiles. This is what makes Christianity different than any religion in the world. I don't even like to use the word religion because so much, so many bad things have been done with religion. But this makes Christianity stand out among all of them. Other religions are like the Greek nation at the time. They have their prophets, they have their philosophers, they have their teachers, they have their gods, but they have no savior. Christianity has a Savior. We're the only one. There is only one Savior, and that is Christ. The Son of David, the Son of God Himself. He said, when I am lifted up, when I am crucified, I will draw all peoples to Myself. Now, that's not all people as in every individual person is going to trust Him. That's all people as in all nations, Jews and Greeks, Jews and Gentiles, the whole world, people from the whole world. He will invite us all. Not all will come to him, but we'll all be drawn to him by his love. Let's go back to our passage in Luke. Luke 20, verse 45. It's still, it's on page 880, by the way, if you have, using our church Bible. We've only hardly scratched the surface of who he is. Truly awesome, beyond anything we can comprehend. But what about the implied question, what do we do with him? I struggled with how these next two sections of Scripture fit in with this, but it's interesting because they're also, these same passages are put together in, in Mark and in, in Matthew, or two of the three in Matthew. So they, God has them here for a reason. Let's look at them. We're going to see two examples of how we as people respond to how great is our God. The first one is an example of how not to respond. Look at verses 45 to 7. And in the hearing of all the people, they're still in the temple, Jesus said to his disciples, the scribes and Pharisees, everybody else is around him, but he said to his disciples, beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes and love greetings in the marketplaces and the best seats in the synagogues and places of honor at feasts, who devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayers. They will receive greater condemnation. So one way to respond to him is selfishly. And take advantage of what he's given us and use it for our own purposes. The scribes he's talking about are using their knowledge of his word and their positions of honor as scribes and religious leaders. They're using it for their own benefit. How would you like to be a scribe and be listening to him talk about you like this? Oh, man, ouch. Scribes, of course, these are experts at the law. Men who knew the Torah, the law of Moses, those first five books, they knew the law. They were responsible for teaching. 
They were responsible for copying, for protecting, preserving God's word. That's who they were. That's what they did. But they were not allowed to accept payment for their teaching. That's what they're supposed to do. They are there to teach, but they're not allowed to be paid for it. Okay? They were allowed to accept gifts. And they did. But most of them were not wealthy. They were rather poor, but they held very high honorable positions. Okay? Most of what Christ says here about the scribes is pretty clear, pretty obvious. I mean, they liked places of honor. They liked to be honored. They were not sincere, but they had these really long prayers to make themselves sound pious and sound important. But then this thing about devouring widows' houses. What do you suppose that is all about? Well, they weren't allowed to be paid for their teaching, but they could accept gifts, and they did accept gifts. And they used their position of influence, their position of honor, and their knowledge of the law to encourage susceptible widows to give them more than the widows could really afford. They took unfair advantage of susceptible widows, devoured widows' homes. And we can really badmouth these guys. But I think the point is more significant for us to look at that and ask ourselves, Lord, where am I taking advantage of what you've given me? We should plead like David in Psalm 139. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. See if there's any grievous way in me. Lead me in the way everlasting. And we all have grievous ways in us, don't we? Some of them we're not even aware of. This is why we need to come to God like this and say, search me, know my heart, change me. You're the creator, I'm the creation. Do what you want with me. Mold me into the shape you want me to be and clean me up. And we continually need to do that. This gets really serious. You get to the end of verse 47. They will receive greater condemnation. That's scary. And he doesn't expand on it at all. He just leaves it there. I guess that's enough. Whoa. It, it reminds me of, it's not the same as, I don't think, but it reminds me of James chapter 3, where James tells us, Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. And what am I doing? <laughs> you know? This makes your knees wobble a little bit. I love teaching His Word. But this, this gets me. This should get us all. And everybody should prepare to teach because we see God's Word in a wonderfully different way when we're preparing to teach it. But we need to be careful and we need to be humble and we need to be humble. And we need to be humble. It's scary. I've been doing it a lot of years. I never take it for granted. Thank you, Lord. The next section we see is another example of how people respond to God. And we'll just look at this very briefly. This is a much better way. It's in the next chapter, chapter 21 of Luke. 
Jesus looked up and saw the rich. He's still in the temple. He looks up and saw the rich putting their gifts into the offering box. And he saw a poor widow put in two small copper coins. And he said, Truly I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than all of them. For they all contributed out of their abundance, but she out of her poverty put in all she had to live on. I'd say that's a sacrificial response to God, wouldn't you? Some say these copper coins were worth only a fraction of a penny. I say, well, let's consider they're worth a whole penny. She didn't put very much in, did she? Two pennies? What if they're even quarters? She put in two quarters. Wow! She put in nothing. But she honored and glorified God. not one of us not one of us should ever think for even a moment that I can't glorify God that I can't honor him that he doesn't want my love two pennies worth less than two pennies worth brings him glory and honor None of us should ever think, well, we know we're not worthy of his love, but he wants us to love him. He's glorified when we do love him. Wow, thank you, Lord. He went to the cross in order to draw you to himself. That's why he went, so he could draw us to him by his love. Not so we'll give him lots of money. He doesn't need that. It's not how much we give. It's not how important we are. It's not even how long our prayers are. It's not how talented we are. Do we love Him? Do we trust Him? Do we recognize Him as the Son of God? Is He more than the Son of David to us? That's the important question. So what is your answer to his question? Who is the Christ? Oh yeah, I know. Christ is the Son of God. Oh yeah, he's Jesus, my Savior. Is it that kind of answer? One of those? Oh yeah, one of those kind of answers. Yeah, I know. I've raised with him. It's always been that way all my life. All my life. What is your answer when you stop and think about who is the Christ? No matter if we consider ourselves, I've been Christian for 30 plus years, maybe we're there, maybe you've been a Christian a few months or a few weeks, maybe you haven't even decided yet, you're here this morning, haven't decided, do I want to trust this one called Jesus Christ? Wherever we are, We don't want to be like the scribes, the Pharisees, the Sadducees. We don't want to be hypocrites. We can't fool him. We're not fooling him. We might even be able to fool ourselves, but we're not going to fool him. We must recognize he is God the creator. We are the creation. We're the creation. I'm not in charge of me. 
I didn't create me. He did. Christ cannot reconcile us to God if we do not yield to Him as our Lord. Can't do it. Christ cannot redeem us if we insist on being our own Savior. He's the one who can save us, not us. We cannot have a true relationship with Christ without yielding our lives to Him. It's required. Faith in Christ requires. Faith in Christ demands we accept Him not only as Savior, but as Lord. That word Lord implies owner, master, the one I belong to. David said, I mean Christ said, quoting David, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand. How can the Christ be David's son if he is his Lord? He can't belong to his son. Who is the Lord to you? Who is David's son to you? And when did you last thank him for it? or tell him about it, or even think about it. Lord, I belong to you. And it is so wonderful. And you know when it's the most wonderful? Is when something really hard happens to us. I think that's when I'm the most thankful that I belong to him. When things are going good, it doesn't make any difference. It's easy. But when things are going really bad, it is so great and peaceful to know that he's the one in charge. And I belong to him. And he knows where I will be with him for eternity. And he knows why he's allowing this to happen. And it's not out of his control. And it's okay. It's not easy. It's not fun. I don't like it but I can trust Him. Faith in Christ demands we accept Him not only as Savior, but as Lord. We trust Him with what we're going through. Who is the Christ? How am I responding to Him? That's the question we should leave with. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, we believe You. Help our unbelief. Lord, we trust you. Help us in our doubts. Lord, we humble ourselves before you and ask, Lord, that you forgive us for our pride. Lord, if there are any here who have not yielded to you as Lord and Savior, we pray that right now you would just draw them to yourselves, that they would have the joy that so many others of us have in knowing and trusting and loving you. Help us to know from our hearts, the Son of David, the Son of God, help us to know you are our Lord, our Master, our Savior. Help us to trust you as the poor widow trusted you with all we have and all we are. Thank you that you're a God we can trust. Amen. Amen. Thank you.